from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18, through to John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Warning against antichrists. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he, he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that th that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that any, anyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. 
Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be within him? Dear children, let us, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him, him ev anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. It's been great to, um, well, I'm here every week, but it's been great to particularly be here over the last few weeks looking at 1 John together. Uh, I, I hope you've... I, I, I was reflecting on um, 1 John a bit this morning, and... We've probably covered a lot of material and today will be no different. We'll cover a fair bit today as well. But I also feel like, I, I don't know, I feel like there's so much more to look at in 1 John. We could almost uh, continue and look at 2 John and 3 John as well. Um, but it's been good, I hope, just to get a little bit of an insight into John and what he's saying here. And I hope that you've been inspired to maybe read and think some more about John's first letter uh, and to see how central Jesus uh, his life, death and resurrection of Jesus is to John as it is to any book in the Bible as well. There's an outline uh, that you've got and there's a little bit more detail in the outline today uh, which should match with our slides as well. So if you'd like to take notes, uh, I hope that'll be helpful for you. Today we're not going to kick off with the ad. Uh, I've finished advertising Dalesford for uh, Tourism Victoria. Um, but if you've been here, you'll know that uh, what I actually liked, or what, what I uh, drew out of that ad, was their tagline, Lead the Double Life. As an advertising tagline, it's probably quite good. Uh, it's all about getting all you want uh, down at Dalesford in Victoria. Uh, I, I used it because I thought it was a good framework for looking at John's first letter as well. Um, because John has been in some conflict with a number of people in, uh, around Ephesus and Asia Minor uh, about people who call themselves Christians but are living the double life as well. Uh, these people have had a philosophy and approach to life that sees a sharp distinction between the spiritual realm or the spiritual world and the physical life that we live in in the day to day. Um, that's a common philosophy that's still around today as well, I think. Uh, and these teachers, these false teachers, have been teaching that God's spiritual son, the Christ, came from that spiritual realm, but he didn't actually inhabit some physical person like Jesus. It, he only 
appeared to. Of course, that's where we have problems and that's where John has had problems as well because our understanding of the gospel is that Jesus was fully God who came to earth and was fully man. But the people John is talking with are confused about this and so that's the background uh, to one John. These, uh, these people as well have felt that they are so spiritual now that it doesn't actually matter what they do in this physical world. And so again, John's got problems there. We might call that hypocrisy today, but apparently it was the in thing back then. Maybe it's a little bit in today as well with some people. So we're going to look at those uh, issues in a bit more detail today. The last two weeks, we've posed uh, a couple of questions to look at as well. As an introduction to 1 John, does the double life matter? Uh, the second week, last week, as we looked at God is light, God is love. What is your picture of God? Well, as uh, I've been doing, uh, is to pause and have some comments as well, and I'm going to do that again today. So with where we've been over the last few weeks and with your thinking, does anyone want to comment or uh, may ask a question or perhaps just uh, share something with uh, they've been thinking, how they've been thinking about 1 John and what it's meant for them? It's okay, we'll keep going, but keep thinking as well. Well, today, the big question that I want to want to think about and it's a bit of a silly question, which you'll come to see shortly. But the big question is, what is a real Christian? What is a real Christian? How would you answer that question if someone actually asked you that? You might be wondering, why did I say before it was a silly question? We'll see about that as we go through this. What is a real Christian? If we uh, started fresh with one John and just read it without any of the background, without any of the, the journey that we've been on over the last few weeks, well, we'd notice a few things very quickly, and that is there's lots of commands. There's lots of commands here. Just a couple in the first few chapters. Verse 10 of chapter 1, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Verse 3 of chapter 2, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going. Now, for a number of people, they've kind of framed 1 John, picking up on a lot of these commands, and they've grouped the commands, there's, uh, there's a pattern to them, and they've grouped them according to three kind of broad categories. The category of truth or belief or doctrine, there's a category of obedience or response, and then a category of love or a social category of how it works out amongst other people. Uh, and, and as they've thought about this, they've phrased 1 John in the, in the language of tests. And so that there are these three tests to what it means to be the real Christian. Uh, there's a test of truth. Do you believe the right things or maybe you're not a real Christian? Do you be uh, is your behaviour passing the test of obedience? Do you do what Jesus said or maybe you're not the real deal? And do you love, do you pass the test of love and do you love people the right way? Or maybe, again, 
you fail the test. And I think the problem when we approach 1 John like that is, well, we want to pass the test, don't we? Maybe we need to study a bit harder. Maybe we need to pull off the all-nighter and and get over the line. And what is the pass-fail? How good do I have to be to pass the test? And all those questions actually leave us feeling very unsettled, don't they? Because am I in? Have I passed? Am I good enough? But in fact, from the last few weeks, we'll know that John is not on about are we good enough, is he? Should be all going, no, he's not on about are we good enough, no. Because the issue is who is good enough, it's the issue of Jesus, isn't it? In fact, if we come to the core of 1 John, that key verse, anyone tell me what the key verse of 1 John is? What was that? Chapter 5, verse 13? Yes, that's right. Chapter 5, verse 13. The whole purpose of 1 John is written in that verse. John says there, I write these things to you who believe in the name of Jesus. He's writing to the believers so that, why is he writing? So that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that... uh, If you do the right things, you'll be happy to know that you're in the kingdom. Not that if you believe the right things, not if you um, just uh, do pass the tests, you'll be okay. But to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Doesn't that change the letter around? That's why it's a silly question to ask what is a real Christian. It's a silly question because we're really asking, what is a Christian? What does it mean to live in Christ as a Christian? So anyway, to um, I'm, uh, you'll see on the outline, I've got these three points which look like the framework I've just sort of talked about how silly it is. Uh, but I want to look at each of these uh, commands, these groups of, uh, of statements that are made and try and nut through then, if they're not tests, what is John doing as he works towards encouraging us to know that we have the hope that we profess. Does that make sense? So we'll we'll have a look at that. Okay, the first one, the test of truth. And I'm going to frame each of these with a heresy or a poisonous teaching that the false teachers have been running around talking about. And so that's the framework, the background that John is picking up on. So the first one about truth This heresy is identified by what a person believes about Jesus Christ. See, once again, remember the background to the letter, the idea of this double life, and their idea was that this spiritual and physical world cannot come together because they'd be contaminated. And there was a teacher around at that time who actually thought this through and thought, okay, well, what do we say about Jesus? I know, we've got this spiritual Christ... And we've got this earthly human being, Jesus. And what's happened is the spiritual Christ has come down and taken over the body of Jesus at his baptism. So when the dove came down, that's, that's what happened then. And then the Christ and Jesus, they lived together. But of course, gee, Jesus died on the cross. Nothing spiritual would have that happen. Um, the Jews believed that uh, anyone killed on a cross would be cursed. So... So he must have left 
and then jesus the human being got killed on the cross that's what they're actually teaching and so john is actually saying well that's not true because if we're going to deal with such teaching well we need an antidote and the antidote is to remain in what you know remain in what you know so in those uh, verses that are list listed up there he really deals with this test of truth now verse 24 of chapter 2 says see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you if it does you also will remain in the son and in the father simply put remember the message you heard from the beginning remember john is saying remember what i wrote to you about jesus in my biography about jesus life remember the beginning of that how we said we were eyewitnesses we wrote to tell you exactly what had happened if you remember the beginning of one john he does it again he reaffirms this is what i've seen this is what i've heard this is what we've touched this is the truth of the matter in chapter 5 he goes on to say um, there's there's this testimony which is revealed by the water and the blood and the spirit this testimony which is god's testimony about his son so the first part of this uh, dealing with this truth is to remember what we were taught about jesus the second part oh, is to remember the message you heard from the beginning and the second part is to remember the Holy Spirit that you have been given from the beginning. Have a look at verse 27 of chapter 2. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. What's that anointing? It's a practice of pouring oil on someone. The queen was anointed when she became queen by having oil poured on her. But this anointing is the promise of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all believers. John is saying, firstly, remember the message that you were told, but remember you also have the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth as John promised back in John 16 as well. And he's saying, remember that you have the spirit of truth. Don't just soak up what you hear and the whims of these false teachers, but think, pray, dwell on it. Does it accord with what you heard? Does it accord with the spirit at work within you as well? It's hard to talk about the spirit sometimes. We think of this um, fluffy kind of spirit doing who knows what in our lives but john is saying no this spirit is active compelling you to know the truth i people sometimes ask me when i've uh, taught scripture in schools or in other places how do you know for sure about jesus and you can of course point to the uh, human life and death and resurrection of jesus um, but they still say but how do you know and sometimes the answer is well, it's just a question of faith. You've got to take that leap in the dark. But John is saying, no, it's not a question of faith. It's not a leap in the dark. You can know for sure because we have the spirit of truth. And 
In remaining in Christ, in remaining in what we know, this leads to life. Verse 25 of chapter 2. Life, eternal life, is not a prize. It's not a reward for a life lived well. It's not payment. Uh, It's not wages for having done the right thing. It's a free gift found in Christ. And in chapter 5, again, we find out that life, it's not just the future life, and we live now kind of thinking, well, one day we'll get life. Won't that be nice? But in chapter 5, it's actually in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 5, it's a possession that we can enjoy now, life in all its fullness. And, of course, Jesus said those same words in John as well. See, the implication to this issue of uh, the poison, poisonous teaching about who Jesus is, the implication here is as we remain in Christ, we will know the truth. As we remain in the information about Jesus that we had from the beginning, as we remain in what the Spirit has taught us and we understand to be true, then we can deal, we will know the truth for sure. It's not um, just some hidden spiritual truth. It's actually something that we can get our hands onto. It is physical. Um, It's not uh, some special knowledge that a few people have. It's not uh, the person who's up here has something to tell us that we don't know. Um, It's actually something that we we all have access to within the scriptures and by the spirit. Is that something you believe? I hope so. Uh, It's certainly something that John's telling us. And I think that's an encouragement. It's not a test about whether you have the right knowledge at all, is it? It's an encouragement to know, remember what you were taught, remember you have the spirit of truth, and move ahead with that. Okay, well, the second area, the test of obedience. And the issue here is identified by how a person responds to the teaching of Jesus Christ. These uh, false teachers have claimed that they've reached such a heightened sense of spirituality that they no longer need to... to, um, they're they're immune from sin, that they no longer need to worry about what they do on this world, in in this earth. Uh, They have no sin. um, It's just not relevant for them anymore. But verse 9 of chapter 3, John says something different. He says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Morality matters. Sin is serious. So what do we do about that? Well, he says the antidote is to remember the two appearances of Jesus. Hang on. Two appearances? One is the future and one is the past. I'm not going to say that Jesus appeared in 1914 in some hidden sense, but uh, one is the future, one is the past. And we'll see it in verses 28, chapter 2, 28 to 3, verse 10. Verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. See, firstly... John says he's looking to the future of the return of the king. Looking to the future return of the king. And really the question is, what is your response going to be when that king returns? What do you think of when you think of Jesus returning? 
is there a nervousness and a, gee, have I got it all together? Am I living the life I profess? Or are you standing in confidence saying, yes, come, Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. Because John is saying we need to be confident. In verse 3, uh, verse 2 of chapter 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We can see that as we look around, can't we? But we know that when he appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now we are the children of God, and like father, like son. We inherit all that it means to be a child of God. Isn't that great? If we have that view of the coming king, not, a, not as someone who's, who's bringing the whip to grab us, but as a, as a son is looking forward to his dad coming home at the end of the day, doesn't that just change the tone of what we think about how we will live out our lives? I hope it does. So that's the first appearance of Jesus. And of course, he also looks back to Jesus because Jesus actually came onto this earth not just to, to deal with our sin so that we could live whatever life we want, but he dealt with sin so that sin would no longer have any power over our life, so that sin would no longer rule us. Have a look at uh, verse 4 of chapter 3. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. How can we have any part of sinful behaviour if Jesus actually came to deal with it with his blood? Because he came to deal with it so that we might no longer have any part of it. The lie of these false teachers is that it does not matter how you live. And John is saying it does matter. Because this is what Jesus came to deal with. Therefore, it's got to have impact in your life. In fact, he goes a bit further as well in verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Sin, he aligns to the devil. The devil is the, the great one who has, since the beginning of time, been working against God and trying to draw others uh, to, to, to rebel against God as well. Those who sin, John says, has, have more association with the devil than with God. John reminds them that it was the work of Jesus to destroy the work of the devil. Remember in uh, Luke 4, where uh, Jesus goes head to head with the devil and the, the devil attempts to tempt and uh, help Jesus to, to try and take up his role of being king in a different way. But each time, Jesus slams down the scriptures and says, no, that's not the truth. This is not the way that I'm going to go. Satan wants to lead us to compromise, to be enticed, to be seduced away from the truth. 
But instead, John tells us, when we are born of God, we have this seed. What's this seed? Again, it's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit within, that means that for, for us who are believers, we no longer, sin is no longer our way. Sin is no longer our natural approach to life. In fact, we're no longer sinners but saints, or as John says, children of God. So the implication here, as we think about how we respond to the teachings of Jesus, the implication as we remain in Christ, we will be obedient to him. Now, we, we of course come to a little issue because we all know nobody is perfect. We still do the wrong thing, don't we? So how does the fact that we do sin fit into what John is saying about we shouldn't sin? Well, it's about a pattern of life. If sin is your pattern of life where you just do whatever you want, well, that is a pattern that belongs with the devil. But if obedience to Jesus is a pattern that you are looking for and living for and longing for, that is the pattern of Christ, isn't it? I think um, it, it, it's quite—it's simpler to think of this way. When we sin as believers, we are forgetting who we are. When we sin, we are forgetting that we are children of God and been saved by Christ to a new life. And John is saying, remember, remember who you are, remember what Jesus has done, and do not sin. Not guilt, but a reminder of who we are. Okay, so there's the test of obedience, or supposed test. Finally, the test of love. And this one is dealt with by how uh, a person treats their brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 19 of chapter 2, we read of how uh, the Antichrist, the false teachers, have given up on the gathering, have given up on their brothers and sisters, and they've left, looking for something new, uh, a new fad, some fresh teaching, some new experience that they're not finding there. But here in uh, chapter 3, John reminds them that this message is actually not going to be something new. We, we don't come together to hear something new. In verse 11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, the same old message. We should love one another. Jesus said it. It's there in the Old Testament. It's the golden rule. We should love one another. And if we're going to do this, he says, well, we need to recognise that there is a huge difference between love and hate. And we see that in verses 10 to 24 of chapter 3 here. There's a big difference between love and hate. Hate is characterised by Cain in the story from Genesis 4. Love is characterised by that of Christ. So firstly, to recognise that the world is characterised by the hatred of Cain. Verse 12. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. See, firstly, recognise that the world is characterised by the hatred of Cain. Cain's hatred came from the devil. If 
you remember the story in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel were both, both brought an offering to God. Abel's offering was found to be righteous and, and God smiled on it. Cain's offering, there was something wrong with it. And Cain saw this and became jealous. And his jealousy led to anger. His anger led to murder. And his murder, led, he was unrepentant even then when God faced him over that. We see this in the world as well. The world does not like righteous behaviour. We, we Aussies don't like it. We, we have the tall poppy syndrome. Anyone who stands out, we cut them down because we don't like people to stand out. Jesus said, this is what happens. People hated him, they cut him down. People hate, will hate his disciples. They did, they cut them down. And people will hate us and they will cut us down as well. This is the normal life of our world. And he says, as the world is characterised by hate and darkness, we, have, we, we should be characterised by love and light, by something different. We are to love like Jesus. And so it is to Jesus that he turns to show us the example of love. We spent a lot of time talking about God is love last week. But John picks it up repeatedly in his letter here. In verse 14 of chapter 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is the evidence that the Spirit is at work in us. This is the evidence that we understand what God is talking about because we will actually love other people. I don't know if you, you realise how unnatural, how strange it is to actually love other people. But as you see yourself loving others, we can actually say thank you to God because it is him at work in us that allows us to be loving. And where else should this be seen but amongst the believers, amongst the followers of Christ, concentrated together as we share our lives together? More than just an hour's meeting and a cup of tea, isn't it? It is, it is much more than this as we look out for one another, as we see how we can love one another. John is saying our love shows we have life. Our love recognises Jesus as the bringer of life. And if you want to know love, he says, love is about self-sacrifice. He tells us that in verse 16, as we, we will know what love is by the way that Jesus lays down his life. As Cain is the supreme example of hate, Christ is the supreme example of love. Something to copy and yet also to know it can only be found in him as well. And so if love is to be seen as genuine, it is something that means it's going to cost us because it means putting ourselves in second place as we look at our, our friends around us, our neighbours. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. What was the point of that? Who is our neighbour? Our neighbour is the one who is in need. Not the one who we like, not the one who we can kind of 
well, we've got enough spare money to help out, but our neighbour is the one who has a need. And our love is to be exercised as we go the extra step and step out of our comfort zone and love them at the expense of ourselves, just like Christ. The implication here, as we remain in Christ, as we remain in his spirit, we will love people around us. I just want to pause for a moment. Is that all making a little bit of sense? Anyone want to make a comment or ask something that maybe not, maybe I didn't say so clearly about our three tests? Not tests about pass and failing, but tests that reveal the spirit working within us. Yes. Oh, sorry. Um, I, I also, it was commented last week, not everyone can hear everyone. It would be great if we had another microphone, but we don't. Um, so I'll try and repeat what you say, Michelle, but could you also try and speak loudly as much as you can? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Just to repeat there, so um, Michelle was talking about verse 23 of chapter 3. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another, as he has commanded us. Uh, Michelle was suggesting that um, the example of Jesus is a very high example, and it's very hard work for us to actually love people. Is that... That's basically right, Michelle? Yeah. So what do we do about this? Uh, is this something that we try harder to do? I think it's something that we remember that Christ is at work in us. It um, doesn't mean we don't keep trying to and looking outside. We don't just sort of close our eyes and think God's going to work and do it all. We keep our eyes open. But let's look for opportunities. Um, let's, let's not beat ourselves over the head about how we're not loving. We've all got a long way to go with that. Um, I speak from personal experience. Yes. When I was in my old church in Sydney, I remember saying to my minister, not long after I became a Christian, I'm concerned about myself, Michael. I said, um, I'm still sinful, even though I've, I feel that I've found God. I'm still very sinful. I still can't help being envious if I see my neighbour with a nicer car, or I still mm. can't help looking at an attractive woman walking down the street. Well, I still can't help criticising that lady for the way she disciplined her little boy in the, in the shopping centre. And I'm, I'm just concerned about myself, whether I'm really on the right path. And his answer was, if you weren't concerned, that's when you would have problems. Right. So the, the point there was... Um, sorry, what was your name? Rex. Rex, sorry. Um, everyone knows Rex. <laughs> Uh, Rex was saying, as a young Christian, he went to his minister and said, you know, I, I'm struggling to be obedient as a Christian in so many different ways. And his minister says, if you weren't struggling, that would be the problem. I think there's wisdom in that, isn't there? See, 
I, to pick up on what Rex said, are we, are we sinners or are we saints? And I think your answer to that question will determine how you live out your life. Because uh, too often I, I actually hear the answer is we're sinners. Um, the language John uses is children of God. Um, because we're actually new people, characterised by a new way of life, the spirit within being combined, somehow united in Christ. Um, and yes, we sometimes make mistakes and we do the wrong thing. But the fact is we are children of God and that compels us to do the right thing. Sinners or saints? Any other comments? This is, this is very helpful. Okay. I might wrap up then. Well, the big challenge for today and the, book, the challenge for 1 John is to remain in Christ. Uh, John tells us that the believer is someone who knows God. The believer is in Christ. The believer is in the light. The believer remains in the Father and the Son. And he's saying for us, remember what you were taught about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Don't forget so that as we remain in Christ, we will know the truth. And somehow that works through the scriptures and the word, but the spirit within us as well, the spirit of truth. He says, remember that we will stand and stand tall before the throne of Christ because of the cross. Not because of our life. We will stand tall before the throne because of the cross. So that as we remain in Christ we will continue to be obedient to him. As we look to the return of Jesus, as we look back on the cross, we want to listen and obey Jesus because it is the way of life. There is no other way. And it, when you sin, you remember that and you come back to the cross, don't you? That is the way of life. And remember, John says... We are no longer people of Cain. We are no longer people of the world. We are no longer people characterised by hate. But we are people of the light, people of Christ, people of love. And as we remain in Christ, we will love people around us. It is the nature of who we are now to love those around us. Because the gospel makes a difference. The gospel makes a difference in our lives and the gospel makes a difference in our relationships and how we approach our relationships as well. See, so John writes these things to who? To those who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why does he write them? So that you may know you have eternal life. What a great letter. How about I pray? Loving Father, what a privilege that we can address you as our loving Father, that we can be your children. And all that as we look at Jesus, as we look back on the cross and are humbled and reminded of what love really is all about. And as we look forward to Jesus coming as a glorious King, may we be people who are standing celebrating, looking forward to that day. 
And in the midst of that, as we remain in Christ, help us to continue to remember all there is to know about Jesus, to look forward to the throne, to standing before the throne, and to remember that we are people of love. And we thank you, because that is only in Jesus' name. Amen.